The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is Wrestle Popcast with Robin Nelson. And now, here's Robin. Hey, how's it going? Uh, we're here uh, live at Future Great Wrestling Arena. And I'm here with Slick Rick himself, wrestling announcer, boxing announcer, MMA announcer, Rick Toms. Wow. I do all that stuff. And you know what? what tell them what's coming up. My anniversary coming up. You tell them. Yeah. Uh, Rick Toms is having the 25th anniversary Woo. in January of next year. Uh, <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your 25th anniversary coming up next year. Well, it's January the 29th. It'll be 25 long years. But what's really cool about being the announcer, you're not taking bumps. You know, I could do 25 more years, but I won't last out on this earth that long. <laughs> well, so speaking of bumps, so do you ever take some bumps in the ring? Oh, my God. Are you really asking me? Well, no. I've never taken a bump. Well, I've been in four matches during this 25-year span. All right. But I still avoided... Well, no. Okay, let me be honest with you. I've had four matches, and after two of them, I went to urgent care. So... <laughs> and that's kind of without taking any bumps. So I, either I'm really fragile, or I got no business being in there. Either way, I shouldn't be in there ever again. That's for sure. So if you had to, would you ever take a bump again today? Oh, God, no. No. Because I was actually working out in the gym when I had those matches, and I still was like... I couldn't move my neck one time, and something happened to my arm and, or shoulder. It wasn't a separation, but it was something. I don't even remember what it was. But, uh, yeah, it's a painful situation for me to be in. I'll just stand there and announce and get out of the way. Hey, smart man. <laughs> okay, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Um, so where'd you grow um, Where'd you grow up? Where, I grew up in a, uh, a town called Forest Park, Ohio. Okay. Um, I don't know if I have any fun stories to tell about that, but yeah, that's where that's where I live with mom and and with mom and dad. Okay, um, so were you a big wrestling fan growing up as well? I was a big wrestling fan. Um, I think right around thirteen, and uh, I remember being at home and my older brother put wrestling on, and it, it, I was I was not happy because back then, remember, you only had three four channels and there yes. wasn't a remote. You had to go up and physically turn it. I'm old, people. I'm old. <laughs> and uh, he had wrestling on. And so I was like, oh, my God, i got to watch wrestling. And it was some promotion. I think they were based out of Dayton, Ohio. And it, I remember there was a guy named Handsome Johnny Barron, and Mark Lewin was on it. And uh, um, by the time the show was over, I couldn't wait to see the next week because I was fascinated. They were constantly promoting a card that was going to happen that night, I think maybe at Hera Arena. But, oh, man, I was hooked. I've, 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 and that's it. I've never not watched it. That's a long time. So uh, wh- who was your favorite wrestler growing up? My favorite wrestler growing up was Flying Fred Curry. Yes. And you've probably met him, and that pisses me off. I met him, and I also <laughs> met his son, who's also wrestling right now, and he's in grappling competitions as well, too, and he's making a name for himself. Well, I missed out on meeting Fred Curry, and I, I kicked myself for it. But yeah. I, go ahead. I, here's what I wanted to tell you, though, about... When I first started watching it, is my birthday was coming up. I, I don't remember the age. I know I wasn't old enough to drive yet. And my dad said, what do you want for your birthday? I said, would you please take me to Big Time Wrestling in Cincinnati Gardens? And so he did. And we went down and watched wrestling. And it was The Sheik 
He was the United States champion defending against uh, the about 500-pound Haystack Calhoun. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Yes, I've heard of him. Okay. And, and if you watched wrestling back then, it was all squash matches. And I thought, oh, my God, Haystack's Calhoun's going to beat the Sheik. Nobody's going to beat this big guy, right? So the match starts, and Haystack is just beating the crap out of the Sheik. And Sheik's manager comes in and starts hitting uh, Haystacks with a chair. The match ends in a disqualification. It lasted, I swear to you, 60 seconds. And I still walked out of that building thinking this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I could, I could see, I could see young Rick Tom oh. just sitting there smiling out in the parking lot, going, oh. "This was a cool match." It was. <laughs> and, and, and ironic, the next match was uh, like Dust, young Dusty Rhodes and Dick Murdoch. Ooh, Do you know what I mean? A, yeah, yeah. I, wow. There was uh, Jimmy Valiant was on the card before they called him Jimmy Valiant. It was called Big John Valen. Fred Curry, right? Yeah, I told Fred you, Curry. Fred He's, Curry. He was my favorite. We get there and they make an announcement, ladies and gentlemen. We are sorry to announce that Flying Fred Curry was injured and won't be able to compete tonight. But! And they brought him out anyways. He had his hand in the cast. I still got the scene. Hey. But there was still that disappointment anyways. But it was, a, it, was a, it was a great night. So you were marking and disappointed on Curry. Thank you. <laughs> yes, sir, I was. <laughs> All right. So what got you influenced into the, uh, get, being part of the pro wrestling business? Yeah, I mean, you know what? I never in a million years. I, I, I was never thinking, oh, I got to get into this. I just wasn't. It's minding my own business. Um, I was a singer in a heavy metal band. Ooh. Yeah. yeah What's the name I, of the band? Uh, Blitz. Blitz, okay. Yeah, we did a little traveling down to Key West, and, and we had an agent. Um, honestly, if I was good, I'd still be singing. So what does that tell you? But I found a way to use my voice, and I didn't have to be in key. But the whole wrestling thing is, like I said, I wasn't trying to get into business. But there was a uh, right here. We're sitting in Hamilton, Ohio, right now. Yes. And and there was a, a station called WMOH, and they gave this guy. His name was Ron Higgins. He called himself Rowdy Ron, and he had a pro wrestling radio show on before the podcasts. Before I knew there was newsletters, and he was reading stuff off that newsletter, and I was like, wow. How does he know all this insider stuff? This is the greatest thing ever. And I was canceling plans with my wife on Saturday saying, I got I to gotta stay home and listen to this radio show. Well, he was uh, uh, going to be at a, uh, a local bar. Um, he called himself a celebrity uh, bartender. Yeah. He says, come on in and, and ask for me, and I will give free tickets for a WWE house show that's coming up. Oh, you know, I'm there. I'm there. So I go into this bar. And I said, is there a Rowdy Ron here? And when they went and told him, somebody asked about him, he had this look on his face like, I can't believe somebody showed up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was just me. Yeah, you're getting all whitey eye probably, too. You're like, wow. <laughs> so immediately I got the tickets. Immediately we struck up a friendship. He's like, do you want to come down to the, to the radio station and give you a tour? So uh, me and my uh, ex-wife, obviously my wife, at the time we went down there. And then he promoted his own event. At uh, Garfield Middle School, which is also in Hamilton. And they had uh, Ronnie Garvin and Greg Valentine and Medusa, Alanda, you know, she's Alanda Bryce. Yeah, you know. yeah, Alanda you know. Bryce, yeah. Uh, Kamala, he oh, was yeah. on there. And uh, uh, he asked me if I wanted to be the announcer based on the fact that, you know, I used to sing. I guess. I think that's why he He asked probably me. saw you sing, probably. No, if he saw me sing, he wouldn't have asked me. <laughs> 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 so, uh, anyways. I end up being the announcer for this show. It's my first ever. Um, local television's there. There's like three radio stations. Uh, it, well, I think it drew 1,200. I, I know it did at least that, but I'm pretty sure that's the number. 
Um, place was packed. I got escorted to the ring by Hooter girls, right? And I'm thinking, well, at the time, I didn't think I'm going to do this for the next 25 years, but I thought, I like this. So it went great, and um, then there was a second show that he did, and it didn't draw nearly the same thing. And uh, uh, Tito Santana and Greg Valentine was on it. Uh, I, I don't recall. Tommy Rich was there, and it bombed. He lost money. Um, but the thing was, is the NWF's uh, owner, uh, Johnny Diamond, was there. And I, you know, I love doing this so much. And I said, hey, if you ever need an announcer for whatever the, this NWF thing is, I'll do it for free. Well, come, you know, come to end up knowing Johnny. When you say you do it for free, you're in, right? So I did a couple shows for free. And then there's a Bobby Harmon was working there who had... Who, his big thing is he headlined Madison Square Garden at one point as Beautiful Bobby. And he said, hey, we talking about me. He said, we got to pay this kid. He's too good. We're getting, And that's when it started being a paid thing. And uh, that's how it all got rolling. I started doing Peel's Palace every month for NWF. So do you remember your first pro wrestling match that you announced? The absolute first opening match that night? No. <laughs> I don't remember it at all. I remember who's on that show. But I don't remember what the first match was. Really? Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised. Getting into that, most people like remember their first time. Or, mm-hmm. well, I certainly remember my first night, but I could not tell you. Oh, you could not tell. Could me not that. tell you. I was probably like in a whirlwind daze. You know, it's like this is really happening. And I'll tell you this too, Robin. When I went to the, when I went backstage for the first time, that was like. You know, surreal, and I'm watching the guys that are going to be competing against each other, getting together and going over their matches, and that was like, wow, look at you know, look at this. So the whole experience was, it was really cool. Do, it, you know what I mean? Yeah, I bet you, you, I bet you were probably at, ah, in the back locker room. Yes, yes, I know it, it was so like intimidating. I didn't want to bother Kamala, but I got to go up and ask. How do I introduce? You know what I mean? So How do I introduce you? Him? Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I had to go up to everybody. Greg Valentine, and uh, um, it was it was uh, it, well, it got me going, man. It, it was it was like the pinnacle. I didn't announce in front of more than twelve hundred people for years. Really? Right. That was like the biggest crowd for years. So. Dang! Yeah. Wow. So yeah, I started good. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was some of your memorable? Um, you know, uh, matches you announced in your whole career in the pro wrestling. You know what? That's a tough one for me because I, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's age or whatever, I don't have a real good recall on that. Uh, I know that I got to introduce a, an NWA world title match. I think I've done that twice. And for some reason, when you ask me that question, boom, that's what I think of is I got to do it. And that, that's special to me because when I was growing up, you know, that was the title. I, you know, whatever it has evolved to, and I know it has some more meaning now today than it did a year ago, but it was really cool that I was getting to do an NWA world title the announcement. The rest of it's just a blur. It's all a blur. Yeah, uh, tell us about the story with you and Jeff Jarrett. Well, Jeff Jarrett, I, I got to go back a little bit, and, okay, and, and I'm buddies with uh, Wildcat Chris Harris, who was signed to uh, uh, TNA Wrestling at the time. And uh, Chris was actively trying to get me a job. And they had their uh, their very first ever house show was in a suburb of Detroit. And Chris says, you got to go up there with me, and I'll introduce you to Jeff. And I've already told Jeff about you and all that stuff. So, we, you know, I go up there, and I'm sitting in uh, the arena before the doors open. 
and I was seeing like you know uh, Bob. I remember specifically seeing Bobby Roode in there, and, and you know all the all the stars and stuff. So um, Chris says, "Come here, come here," and he takes me back into this hallway and uh, to meet Jeff Jarrett. And I thought, oh, what should I say to Jeff Jarrett? I don't want to say, oh, I'm a big wrestling fan since I've been a kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I go up to him and I go, I just want you to know that I've never been arrested and I've never been fired from a job. And Jeff, he, then Jeff started laughing. And he said to me, well, he says, you know, if you get hired, you have to wear a lot of different hats. You can't just be the announcer. And I told him what I did at the time. I was manager of a music store in the mall. They go, oh, so you know how to work with UPCs and all that. I go, yeah, I mean, in my sleep. So that was the seed which planted there. Um, the follow-up, and this was the story that I told you, yeah. a, you know, a couple months ago, yeah. was I was uh, in bed in the hotel, and phone rang. It was Chris Harris, and he said, hey, man, I'm in Jeff Jarrett's hotel room. Come on down. So like at 3 a.m., I'm thinking, oh, there's no way I'm going to make a good impression right now, but I'm going to try. And I got in there, and again, I didn't talk about wrestling. Uh, it, it was odd that the conversation turned to uh, uh, my split with my wife. And, and I was making it into a comedy act almost, and Jeff uh-huh. was laughing and all that. And then Chris says, can I bring him down to Florida? Because, you know, they were doing the tapings down there in Orlando. And, uh, or Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't Nashville. It was Florida at that time. And, and uh, he says, can I bring him down? Can I bring him down? Jeff goes, well, hold, you know, hold off right now. He says, but we'll see what's going to, you know, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. So there was never anything that said, yeah, we're going to hire you. And when push came to shove, he kind of put it off a little bit. Do you know what I mean? So yes. I'm not sitting there thinking, oh, I yeah, yeah. an announcer down there. But uh, I guess Chris had talked to him after I had met him, met Jeff. And then Chris sent me a text that said, you're in. And I thought, nice. oh, my God, I can't believe it. And then nothing ever came from it because I don't want to get into this story but it's because being a single parent and that's right when me and my second wife yeah. split okay. and I ended up being pretty much the sole custody of my son Okay, and everything changes then and I'm not saying that if it wouldn't have happened I'd be on TV right now I'm not saying that but I could have had a, more of a shot at it right I had to just drop all all pursuit of it at that point Okay. Now, speaking of Wildcat, Chris Harris. Yes, I saw him last night. Go ahead. Yeah, you guys are like, oh, cool. So, okay, we'll get to that, too, as well. well I don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> I just happened to see him last night. Okay. Coincidentally. Yeah, so coincidentally, you have a um, great friendship with him as well. Do you have any stories with him on the road? Well, we used to go down to Georgetown, Kentucky every Sunday. And it, it, this is not probably, you know, the kind of road story. Well, maybe it is. I mean, yeah, go ahead. Okay. As the announcer sitting in a van that had Abyss in it and Wildcat Chris Harris, and I, I, I would be in this van and I would see them create their matches that were going to happen that night. And they would lay them out and let's do this when this happens and hopefully the crowd pops. And then I got to watch it unfold in front of me. It was fascinating. It probably strengthened my my love and the passion for the business because I was seeing that part of it where normally I just show up and go in the ring and announce people. So I was getting to see the behind the scenes stuff with them and it was cool. So that's pretty much my road story with him because I don't think we, well, we went, he took me to uh, that first TNA uh, house show, but no, not really. I don't think I have any fun stories. I mean, me and me and Abyss had a flat tire once. Is that cool? Here's, <laughs> oh yeah, a flat tire. Okay, but, yeah, but listen to this. You got you got you got to picture this. Okay, he had a flat tire and he backs his car up, up backwards on on the ramp going uh-huh. the wrong way, and we pull uh-huh. into this parking lot of a gas station, and some, I mean, old man 
gets out of his car, goes, hey, man, you guys need help. I mean, well, we got a flat tire. This old man basically pushed us aside and changed that tire. So what I want you to picture is an elderly man doing this while abyss. <laughs> and me just standing there and watching. What was Abyss doing while this old man He just was... stood there and watched. <laughs> so Abyss did ask old man if he needed help? <laughs> I don't know if he did, but I don't remember him doing it. This guy just changed the tire for the monster Abyss. We'll just say that. Okay, and you know, Abyss probably went, wow, that's an old man that can change a tire. We were just looking at each other like, wow, this is awesome, man. This guy's doing all the work for us. And we, and we still made the show on time. Okay. So how did you become part of the NWF? You were that for many, many years. Well, NWF was was evolved uh, from the, the the initial show. Okay. Um, this, well, actually, I told you it was the second show that I had done. Okay. And Johnny Diamond, the owner of NWF, was there. Remember I told you? Yeah. And I asked him if it, you know, I'd work for free. Yeah, that's right. Right. Okay. And so I got on there, and then um, it, it evolved to where Johnny Diamond ended up selling it to Roger Ruffin. And I don't know the time the time frame. But that's what happened, and I was there for a long time. What was it like to work for Roger Ruffin? Well, there was absolutely no problem with it. I mean, it was there was a lot of learning experience. Again, um, I, it's crazy because you think, what do you need to know to be an announcer? But there's more to it than that because they start – if you can deliver, they start including you in on stuff. Okay, so then maybe Rick will come in and point out to the referee that something happened. Those kind of things evolve from that. And that's what happened for me there. And then the, I ended up doing, like, the commentary for the matches. Um, there's a, a, an interview show I think is still that they still produced uh, called Bustin' Loose. I think that's what it is. Yeah, I mean, I was doing that. It was like I had a lot of different things to do, and that made it fun. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. So, um, also, since you've been, you know, announcing in pro wrestling as well, how did you become part of uh, Legends of the Square Circle? Legends of the Square Circle happened after I had quit the NWF, and I don't really recall. The, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if I contacted Ledbetter, Sergeant Ledbetter, and say, hey, maybe I did. Said, if you need an announcer, let me know. I did. Okay. I remember. And initially, it wasn't like, okay, I start, you know, start next month. Um, he said, okay, I keep it in mind. And then there was like two, three months later, he said, hey, man, we, we can use you. So that's how that happened. Sorry for, you know, my brain quit for a second. Okay. Now, let's go. Uh, when you started working with... Uh Thomas over at War, Ohio. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, that all came because of two people. Okay. Stamp Lickage and Brian Beach. They were going up to those shows, and they started to push for me. They were telling Big Tom, hey, man, we got this announcer. You got to bring him. You got to let him come in. You got to let him come in. I think he bo- they bothered him so much. He, he finally said, okay. So I went up and, and uh, with those guys when I wasn't booked and watched, and I was, you know, there's six, 700 people there. And these are the kind of fans that are they're popping for everything. And it's like, oh, this would be so much fun. So it, it evolved out of that. And, and I wish I could put a, a number on how many years I was up there. I, I honestly don't know. Yeah, that's a great promotion. I've been up there and saw you've announced plenty of times, too. I mean, people in Lima, Ohio love that promotion. Oh, they do. They do. And I, and I had good fortune, and I don't know when anybody's listening to this, but what as we talk, I was just back there uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Um, they needed an announcer, and he'll contact me and say, can you do this show? So it's fun to go back. And uh, it's, it's like a different building. 
than the UAW Hall, but the fans are still totally into it. Oh, that's great. And also speaking, um, how'd you get involved with uh, Cody Hawk and all of them? Well, that, that actually evolved out of the CWAI. Yeah, tell us about that. Uh, and, go ahead. Speaking at CWAI, too, it's so funny how you have that weird facial expression in the ring, always talking about get those hot dogs. Well, the hot dogs, you kidding me? The warehouse war hot dogs? Man, I mean it. That's why people buy them. They, they believe me when I say, <laughs> go, go eat those hot dogs. Go eat the hot dogs. <laughs> you know, that's, you see, that's part of the whole, that's part of the whole thing of being an announcer. See? Okay. Yeah. Now tell us how you been part, became part of CWAI over at the warehouse. I contacted, uh, um, um, think. <laughs> well, I can't remember. You can't remember? Yeah, I can't. I okay. Can't. okay. Well, her, her name was Mary Elizabeth Monroe, and I can't remember what they call her in Ring of Honor. What do they call her? Oh, shoot. B.J. Whitmer's yeah. wife oh, or that's... girlfriend. Or... Yeah, why yeah. are you drawing a blank, too? Yeah, I, I know who you're talking about. It's just on the tip of my tongue. B.J. Yeah. Whitmer's girlfriend. Yeah. Right, right, right. Oh, God, I hope she doesn't hear this, and I don't oh, remember her name. Oh, I know. She's but... going to come after you. It's like, you, didn't re- you know my after... real name, but you don't know my Ring of Honor name. <laughs> oh, come on now. Because Cody trained B.J. Whitmer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll think of it before. It's okay. Over. <laughs> <laughs> or we'll edit it in afterwards. Um, anyways, I called her because she was working with the CWAI people. I knew that, and I I don't know. I didn't call her. I think I messaged her and and said, you know, are you guys going to do shows? And she said, yeah. Uh, and I said, well, let me know if you need an announcer. And she says, oh, I'm sure we do. I'm sure we do. So um, she told me where RJ was working, which at the time was a golf course. That his dad owned. Okay. So I went in there and uh, uh, I talked to him, and it was just that it was simple as that, you know. And and then I started showing up at training a little bit. And at the time, it was uh, Les Thatcher, who was uh, yeah, that was from HWA. Les right. Thatcher was part of HWA. Was he part of CWA as well? Or? Well, no, that was well after HWA. Okay. Well after, and so Les was training the CWAI, and I would go up there occasionally just to hang out. And then they had their uh, first show is at a, a church parking lot, which is you know goes along with the Christian wrestling. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. So we're we're at a we're, we're outside and uh, Les was running the show, and um, I'm trying to I'm trying to think as I talk if we had another show besides that, and I don't think we did. And then suddenly it was like I was hearing from RJ that uh, Les Thatcher's out, and then I started seeing all these posts that he was bringing in Cody Hawk. So I was already there. And, and Cody came in with his training. So that's how that happened. And then the difference was night and day where suddenly this promotion was moving. Do you know what I mean? It was just kind of sitting there. Well, it and does because every time Cody Hawk gets into a promotion, it, it seems like it moves. Yeah, well, he's not there to mess around. He's not there. He, he wants to put on shows. I'm not so sure that that was the previous guy's Les Thatcher was really wanting to do that as much as he wanted to train people, which is fine. But Cody was like, "Okay, well, let's 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 do this." So um, I went in. I went into. Uh, uh, they had a, a student show, and I showed up, and I saw uh, uh, somebody was doing the announcing without a PA, you know, yelling, "Ladies and gentlemen, our next match!" You know, just yelling. It. Yeah. And that was a young lady named Shauna Reed. Oh, the stubborn angel, the Shana stubborn Reed. angel, and I thought, okay, so they're 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 using her, you know, to kind of announce because she was injured at the time. So I thought, well, I better, I better embrace her. So we work together, so I don't come in here and have heat like I'm coming in taking spots because 
I had already, I was already there with RJ. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And then comes Cody Hawk, and I don't know if Cody was telling her, you, you know, you can announce for us. And so I, uh, I brought her with me when we went to the, uh, uh, I think it was the first show we did. It was at a uh, an auction place in Middletown. We had the ring up there. Okay. And we'd all drive up. I was giving her tips on, on announcing, and I said, you can do whatever you want. You can do the main events tonight, whatever. And I did. I think I did most of the, of the night, and then she did her. She had fun. I never knew Shauna Reed announced. I thought she just started off as a wrestler. No, oh, she did, and she got hurt. And I think Cody was looking for something for her to do, you know. So, so here you do that. So then her and I started doing those wacky promos right from the start. Oh, those wacky promos yeah. of her future great comics, man. Yeah, yeah, it was her before, but the yeah, chocolate right. bars. That's where that's what it evolved to. But we did a couple of them at the uh, at the CWA I Warehouse. So you had some good chemistry of Shauna on the camera as well. I think so. I mean, you tell me. I think so. I think so. And you, <laughs> hey, you know Shauna, how me and her have that love-hate relationship. <laughs> well, you know, you got to watch out who you say you like on the uh, Facebook. There. Oh, she I know, that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> now, since I'm going to say this, I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. Since... There is no more CWAI. Right. I'm going to say it. There's none. This is my show. I can say whatever I want. Right. So after CWAI ended, yeah. how'd you become part with uh, Brian's promotion, Future Great Wrestling? Well, I think uh, there's me and Brian had <clears throat> developed a friendship uh, as soon as he had become a sponsor for CWAI. And I was looking at it like, okay, this guy wants to be our sponsor. I'm personally going to make sure he's happy. So I said to him, I'll come and do a promo for the show in your store if it's okay with you. And that's how that all evolved. So keep that in mind. He's got a soft spot in his heart for me because I'm the one that stepped up and made him a happy sponsor. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he's he's a great guy. He is. He's um, so far since he's bringing, you know, FGW around, he's done so much for me. Him, Cody. I can't. I can't say nothing bad about those guys. They've done so much for me. They've oh, supported my podcast. They support me over this. Uh, and let me just say this while you're saying this, okay? Because that's something that was really cool for me to discover about Cody Hawk. Because I didn't know anything about him except that he wrestled for the rival organization. I was in NWF. HWA. He was in HWA. And I've discovered this guy's just an incredibly great guy. Oh, he is. He's, he's trained a lot. You know, like I said, you know, if it wasn't for, you know, CWA, I, of course, there's no more. Uh, you know, RJ and them done so much for me as well, you yeah. know, and, I, and it's a shame, you know, what, it, what happened to CWA. I'm not here to bury nobody, but I'm just saying CWA is dead. But you know what? It has a happy ending because here we are. Yep. Do you know what I mean? The, the, the roster is identical. Yeah. And we're going to continue on. And also, there'll be more different wrestlers coming in as well. That's true, too. Which I'm excited for, too. Yeah. And the cool thing about it is the first show is on my birthday, December 28th. That's your birthday that day? Yes, it's my birthday oh, that man. night. Here so, we go. So, I'll be here on my birthday and the first show of, you know, FGW. You know, and I've been talking to Brian. It's like, hey, Brian, how about you get the five most wanted and Shauna sing me happy birthday? Oh, boy. I would love that. I, I want that to happen. And, yeah. and Brian goes, what about Ricky Glam? I was like, no. I'll <laughs> Ricky Glam with his electric guitar. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he, he would be like, oh, no, we don't want that. And he's oh, like, we don't want that. <laughs> you want no part of that, huh? Yeah, we don't want that uh, Beverly Hills slime guy <laughs> with the goodwill clothes. Are you trying to say that'll ruin your birthday? Yeah, it okay. would ruin my birthday. <laughs> Ricky right, we got that out. We got that out. There now. Sorry, Ricky, if you're listening. <laughs> he doesn't want you to And like it. I said, the first show uh, is Future Great Wrestling Origins, December 28th on my birthday, 190 yeah. North. 
Brookwood Avenue, Hamilton, Ohio. Bell time, 730. Right behind Mad Mike's. Ooh, good right. hamburgers. I heard Mad Mike's have good hamburgers. I can verify that because I ate there last week. <laughs> they got a $5 special like Monday through Thursday. Oh, nice. Mad Mike's, you owe me now. Yeah. And now um, you've announced other sports as well. Um, let's talk about boxing. And I know the people who are listening to this show can hear the people training back there boxing. Yeah, we're sitting next to some boxing training going on. I don't know. I don't know really any anything to say about the boxing thing. I mean, it just kind of evolved, I think. If I remember correctly, uh, one of the MMA promoters decided to try boxing, and that's where it happened. Then I then I did a couple shows where you had the fireman boxing against the policeman for charity in northern Kentucky. I did that. And then it's just like, I guess, if somebody's got a boxing promotion, you know, they might ask me to do it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, let's talk about how you got part of uh, MMA announcing. Were you a big MMA guy, too, fan? Honestly, no. I really wasn't. Um, I was looking to expand a little bit, and uh, um, and, and I'll give everybody that wants to be an announcer a, a little trade secret, if you will, because this is how I got into this. Um, I saw a yard sign saying MMA, and it was at uh, what they called at the time Forest Fair Mall. It was a club called Metropolis. Oh, I know. I remember that. That was okay. such a fun place. Metropolis. So um, I called the number, and here's what I said. If... I said, I don't know your announcer. I've never been to your show. I'm not disrespecting anyone. If he's sick, would you consider calling me? And he took my number, and I swear to you, three weeks later, my phone rang. He says, do you want to do the next show? (laughs) So it was as simple as that. The announcer they were bringing in, they were bringing him in from West Virginia, and they had to pay him for transportation. They had to pay him for the show. And here's me, considerably cheaper, like less than four miles away. So that's how that happened. If the guy gets sick, would you call me? That's what you do. That's what you do if you're trying to break into the business. Oh, that's cool. So <laughs> do you remember your uh, first ever MMA announcing match? And what was some of your uh, biggest MMA matches you've announced? Well, I don't know. I don't remember the first one again, just like the wrestling. I remember the night. I remember it was a nervous wreck because I got in there and they were still working on the card. And they probably got the card completed maybe 20 minutes before I had to go out there in this packed bar. And I didn't know anybody because it's my first night. And when when you go backstage for MMA, there'll be the fighter, and then there'll be three, four guys that are with them, corner men or just for support. So I'm looking like Neil in the haystack. Yeah, I don't I don't even know how I got through that, honestly, to look back at it. So um, did you ever make any uh, relationships with any of the MMA fighters of all the matches you've announced? or You know, only through social media. Social but, media. but it's what's funny about that is it's the guys who were around those first three or four years. Those are the guys that I feel I've connected with, where I, re- I recognize them when I see them. But from then on out, it's like, these guys, the turnover. It's just the turnover. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I, I Yeah, that's the same thing like wrestling. You got like turnovers as well, boxing, same thing. Yeah. Now, that, you know, there's like a, a Dom Steele I ended up going to UFC, and I, I introduced him as early. There's a Daniel Strauss, uh, was a Bellator champion, and, and I remember him saying to me, "You're my good luck charm, man. You've announced every fight that I've won." You know, but this is early, early days. So he said that but, to you before yeah, he was a Bellator champ, before, way before, yeah. right? And it's almost like you know when you start dropping the names in wrestling of the people that you were around as they made their way up. You know, when you say, yeah, I worked with Abyss and I worked with Chris Harris, and then you can, there's some MMA names that you can throw in there. I, I for some reason, can will never forget 
a moment at War Wrestling when I was standing by the concession stand just to get out of the way and kneeling down to watch the matches was Nigel McGuinness. Really? And he, and he says, Rick, you want a bottle of water? I go, yeah. And he got me water. I'll never forget that. <laughs> Nigel, Nigel McGinnis. McGinnis didn't... So, Nigel McGinnis, you were marking hard, weren't you? Not at the well. <laughs> now, now, but when it happened, I just thought, what a nice guy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you just saw him as like a normal person. You didn't think yeah, he of him was an athlete. Yeah, he yeah. hadn't gone to Ring of Honor yet. He was on his way up. Yeah, he but was just a normal like, guy just kneeling see, down. The littlest things people remember. Do you know what I mean by yes. that? Be nice to people, and they remember that for years. That is pretty awesome. We should end it right now. That's a good... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, <laughs> okay, I got another question, too. Since you've been in the uh, pro wrestling business for 25 years as well, um, have you ever thought about maybe being like a like a, uh, a manager for wrestling? You know what? That was actually presented to me at one point from by Roger Ruffin, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't like the idea. You know, here's why. Here's why. I'm used to being the announcer. I'm used to being considered a very good announcer. And to be a manager, I didn't have to walk away from something I know that I'm good at and start over. But here's the main thing. When you're a manager, you got to bump. Because if you never take that bump, do you know what I mean? Yeah. You, I mean, if you're like interfering and all that shit, eventually you're going to get yours. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I, that didn't appeal to me at all. Oh, that is hilarious. <laughs> and then we're not uh, ring announcing. What does Rick Toms like to do outside of the business? Oh, geez. You know, so much of it, uh, the past decade has revolved around being a dad. Um, we went to every playground you could think of in the Fairfield area. Um, so as far as stuff to do, basically it's that. And then I look towards when I have a booking again. Oh, nice. And, you know, and that's it. That's really it. And speaking, since you were in a rock band, oh no! <laughs> what influenced you to uh, get into a band, and what was your first? <laughs> and what was your first album you ever bought? Oh, the first album that I remember buying, uh, you know, it, it rock related, would be. Uh, um, well, I don't know. Do you call Elton John rock? Because I had I had a Yellow Brick Road, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, and then I got Frampton Comes Alive. And then I got Kiss, and I'm still like a big Kiss fan to this time. A huge Kiss fan, huh? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's a little bit old to me now. I've heard every song they've played three, 300,000 times. They're coming to town in their farewell, and I have no... Again, their farewell right. tour again. And I have no interest in hearing do- Calling Dr. Love again. But, but ba- I'm sorry, sorry, but back then, you know, they were a big deal to me. Um, what was the other question? And so since, you know, uh, since you were in the business as well, like all these years, the 25 years, have you yeah. ever thought about getting back into another band again over the years? No. No, again, because it was, it, it was odd. When I first got, oh, that's what you were asking about how I got into that. Okay, I'm walking through a bar, right? I have, <laughs> I have huge blonde curly hair, gigantic, Oh, right? my gosh. This guy walked up to me and goes, hey. He goes, do you by chance sing? Because we just we just let our singer go. And I lied and said yes. <laughs> right? Well, I probably had been drinking. Yeah, yeah. I said, yeah. well, you, do you want to audition? And I went down to some uh, abandoned IGA uh, store, and I don't remember, somewhere on Galbraith Road. Okay. And we did uh, uh, like four songs, and, and they hired me, right? And I remember driving home thinking, what the hell did I just get myself into? Again, it wasn't like oh, I'm, I'm a singer and I'm trying to find a band. I'm just minding my own business, and I just like went with this, ah. right? So, so we play our first uh, show, and 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 it's sort of like my first 
uh, ring announcing, you know, places packed. It was in a, uh, a stable. I don't remember where. I think it was in Kentucky. But it's normally for a horse stable. But they put a stage up. And when I came out on stage, there's people everywhere. But the key of this was is we were like the fourth band. So the audience, and, and I'm serious about this, the audience was drunk. Okay. So, <laughs> right? That's a typical rock concert, though. Well, I guess you're right. But if you were first. Or high, or high. Or high, right? But if you go on first or second, you know, they're going to be a little tougher on you. But by the fourth, you know, you come out there and you can make those terrible vocal mistakes and nobody paid any attention. So I got a girl on the front row lifting her shirt up. You know, it's like, oh my God, this is awesome I can't even so from there the second show we had to do three sets we had one set at the show I just said in front of just drunk people yeah now I'm sitting to people sipping sipping their beers because they're going to be there for a while I had to do three sets and it was longest night of my life there was probably ten people there nobody was clapping after songs it was it was brutal but it was a needed bring you back down to earth and I stuck it out for like three years and here's what I, here's the point I want to make though is by that third year, I was finally learning how to sing. I didn't know how. I went to singing lessons, and I didn't know what they were talking about. And then it was like, oh, that's, what's, that's how that works. You know, and then I'm starting to get compliments, not like, hey, you're a great that, announcer. Or, but, or like you're a rock god or something. No, never that. <laughs> never that. We were, we were like the house band at a bar in Newport, which had like, we had like a strip club next to us on both sides. You know what I mean? Oh, that's Down the there, mind. I was a rock star. You know, you yeah, walk in there. You had, the, you had the nudie bars. <laughs> and I bet they knew you. They're like, we're going to wait for uh, Mr. Rick to come out. What'd you hear? <laughs> Nothing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So anyways, I, by the time that I had decided to get out, mm-hmm. I think I was starting to learn. But he, I, I want to make this point because you'll understand this. You can't be on stage learning because when these guys come in and you're not good, they don't give you a second chance. Your band's labeled as sucking. So it was tough. It was tough. We were. I was learning. The guys that I was in the band with, to make my point, are still out there playing. Wow. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's yeah, they awesome. still are in bands. So they were real musicians, and I was trying to fake my way through it. And then it was like, like I said, when I finally was kind of learning, um, it was kind of too late to play anywhere in Cincinnati except the, the house band in Newport, Kentucky. With the nudie bars. Sandwiched between two nudie bars. <laughs> <laughs> it was just disappointing because they would sit us on the road, and we would get back. We were starting to get, well, maybe I should say, I was starting to get better, and the only place anybody would hire us we're just there again same if you can imagine it would be the same 60 70 people every night so since for your love of music and the bands and all that how you like your music and big kiss fan um what got you into uh managing a record store oh man now that was like the holy grail job yeah 100 percent. do tell well i mean it was like the place in the mall to hang out at that time and you know showing my age i don't care you've been announcing 25 years you can figure out i'm up there but it was albums. When I first started, it was eight tracks. I was there when we transferred over to CDs. And cassettes. And cassettes, absolutely. Uh, the Tri-County Mall was only one level, and we were the place to hang out. And, and that play, back in those days, people don't understand this, the mall was the place to hang out. Parents would drop their kids off at the mall and come back and get them three hours later. They would all come into the store. So we were, we were and, and I still hear this to this day, we were like, this is pushing it, but we were almost like rock stars that we worked at the damn store. As ridiculous as that sounds, Sam Goody. Well, it was me. It was, I'm talking about Record Bar, and then okay. the ball of the Music Land, and, then and Sam, Sam Goody. Okay. But again, that's a 17 year, 18 okay. year old, okay. uh, you know, uh, uh, span right there. Okay. But um, 
when I first started, that's what it was like. And we could play whatever we wanted. So, you know, New Kiss came out, and we'd stick it on there. Guy, you know, Jackson Breeze was a customer of mine. Customer of mine. Oh, Jackson Breeze Jackson would Breeze. come in and buy some albums. Absolutely. And he'd come in, and he'd, if he was curious, and he just told me the story the other day, if he was curious about something, we'd open it up and play it for him. And that's, that was fun. That was a job that didn't feel like a job. And I think it spoiled me for the rest of my life. Do you miss it? I miss those days because it became corporate over the years. Yeah, that's how it usually like ruins it too. Uh, <laughs> yes, that, sir. That's just like me. I'm I'm a, I'm also a huge movie buff as well. So for many years, part time, I worked at uh, Suncoast. Oh, Suncoast and Tri County yes. Mall. You were there at the mall. Was I wasn't there at the same time? Yes, you were. <laughs> we I knew right who, down the mall from each yeah, other. And I didn't know who you are. I knew who you were because I remember you would wear those boots with the silver tips. Oh, shit. and the black bag. To bring that up, that was my country music phase. Yeah, I, re- me. I remember that. You were, well, unless you're listening and you like country, yeah. how about that? I'm pretty cool, but but yeah, I remember you. I, did. I didn't know who you were, but I would go in. Did but you we, think what a tool? Did you think that? <laughs> you did because you won't say. <laughs> no, I went like this again. What's up, this guy What's with these boots and these silver tips? Oh, <laughs> and me, well, I had to go to the. Food court. That's right down there by Suncoast. Yep. And oh, I could tell you some stories. Um, speaking of when you were working at a record store, did you have any like uh, any interesting stories of some of the regulars that came in that you were like, "What the fuck?" Like some of them stunk. Is that what you're getting? <laughs> yeah. 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 Here comes Stinky. I'm not helping him, and I'd go to the back. But uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of the regulars. No, no. What it became, it was like war zone, and you can relate to this if you're at Suncoast yeah. because people were constantly trying to steal, and I mean constantly. Uh-huh. And when you have cassette singles, mm-hmm. oh, you're, those are easy because they're not right in their sleeve. Yep, and, and you had to stare at them constantly, or you were just getting. It took the fun out of the job. Even before it became corporate, that took the job. That took the fun out of the job. It was constantly. I didn't want to sit there and stare at people, want look them down, and you know, getting verbal confrontations. And what did you just put in your jacket? That's not what I came there for. I was the guy that wanted to put the album on for Jackson Breeze, right? <laughs> yeah, and you did. I did. <laughs> Good old Jackson Breeze. Good old Jackson. Breeze. <laughs> Gotta love that old man. <laughs> What's in that flask? Oh well, that's for another show. Well, I asked him. I was like, <laughs> he won't tell me. <laughs> His famous flask, you know, because mm. I asked him that, and he told me the story about some fan that got it for him. Oh, okay, and he's had it ever since. Sentimental value? Is that what he was? Yeah, trying to, okay. kind of get to a little sentimental. Okay, out <laughs> 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 your 20, 25 year career. Oh my God, has um, it been twenty five years? Yeah. Okay. Man. What was your uh, most one memorable moment, oh, and did you have any either regrets through your whole career? Oh man, um, memorable moment. You know, that's the kind of stuff that I can't answer. I don't, there was, you know what I mean? I mean, it's just like, it's like, almost like a blur. You just announce a show, you announce a show. What's funny now to me is the standout ones are the ones that have the really crisp, clear sound system. Yes. Isn't that funny? But seriously, that's when I'm having a blast. If I have a really clear sound system, I get a lot of positive feedback from my audience. And if I don't, they don't care if it's me or if it's you or if it's Uncle Joe. Do you know what I mean? So I, I, I announced at a uh, in a hockey uh, hockey arena. Uh, well, okay. it's Rupp Arena. They Rupp basketball. Arena. Yep. But okay. it was during hockey. That's what I'm trying to say. And it was during one of the uh, intermissions. And there was over 6,000 people there. But I don't recall that being a thrill for me because they weren't there to see us. It was like, okay, now while you're sitting around with nothing to do during intermission, here's wrestling. Okay, no, okay, I do have a couple things okay. I can tell you. Okay. I, I've been inducted into two Hall of Fames. That's pretty special to me because that validates what you've done. 
Do you so, know what I mean? I mean, the mountain wrestling associations okay. and war wrestling. And that's a validation. That's saying, hey, man, we appreciate what you've done. So how's that? That's a good answer. That's a great answer. I know. Brother. I love that, man. <laughs> hey, that's a big deal being in the War Wrestling Hall of Fame, though. There's a lot of big names that are in there. I like to think so. I do. I do. And and I've got the T-shirt at home from when I was inducted. My name's on it. Do you, do you How ever, about that? I'm on a T-shirt. My name's on a T-shirt. Do you ever wear it? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> do you wear it sometimes sport? Go, yeah, I'm in a Hall of Fame. Well, it depends if it's a pretty girl at the cashier or something. <laughs> I want to... <laughs> That's my name. So, um, <laughs> so, uh, what advice would you give to somebody if they wanted to get into like uh, ring announcing or commentating? Because you did both of them. Well, commentating, I don't feel uh, okay. Well, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I, you, you already have to pretty much be a part of the promotion because, if, okay, to answer your question, I'm going to answer it now after I say I don't know. You, you've got to know the product. You got to know the characters, and you. This is a tough one for people. Okay. It's not about you. You are putting over what's in the ring. Don't sit there and see how funny you can be. That's what's. That's what I would say. Okay. But you know, you can't really walk in off the street and say, "Sit down and start doing this." You got to know the characters and all that, or you're just you're not helping anybody. Is that the same thing as well? If someone wanted to be a ring announcer as well? Well, again, the ring announcer thing—I already gave you a tip on that. Yeah, you call, you contact the promoter and say, whoever your announcer is, if they're sick, would you keep my name on file? That's it. I just exposed it, and I'll probably lose my job to some young upstart now because of that. <laughs> okay, where's, where can everybody find Slick Rick Tom's on social media? Well, you know, I'm uh, I'm an old guy, so it's just Facebook <laughs> under Rick Tom's. I don't no Twitter. Well, I couldn't think. I couldn't figure out how to put my picture up on Twitter. <laughs> right? It was acting like, but it was acting like the picture was too big. So I, I tried it again, not too terribly long ago, and I, I failed again. And I thought, screw this Twitter thing. <laughs> I just want a picture up there. I don't want that, you know, that <laughs> nondescript silhouette. <laughs> You're no. Like, who's this old man? <laughs> well, that's what they say when they see my picture. They, who's this old man in the now? <laughs> Who's that announcing this old man? I could do a better oh, job than that. Geez, exactly. <laughs> so I don't know. But if someday I might figure it out, and I don't really know if I need to have a Twitter. Robin, do I need to have a Twitter? Yeah, um, it's really big. You can get more. Of, <laughs> you can you get more social networking on there. You can get more of a following too. Really? Yes. Okay. Well, I, I mean, Facebook's know. good too, but Twitter. Everybody's more on Twitter. You know, like all the indie wrestlers are. The Why do you think it won't take my picture? Won't we won't accept? Well, um, it's just, just a certain, resolutions. Yeah, it's like a, resu- res- ugh, a yeah. resolution or size. You have to take another picture and fit but it. Facebook doesn't do that. They took everything I threw out there. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Oh my gosh, it's funny. We're talking about this old man trying to figure out. Nobody's Twitter. listening anymore anyway. They've turned, they turned this off like three minutes in. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hey, thank you so much for taking your time to come on. Oh, man, you know I've been wanting to do this, but I wanted to sit down across from you, and I knew it would be fun if we did it. And, and I like how we end up becoming friends, too. We got that special friendship. Yeah, we do. We do, man. <laughs> hey, and, and, and I'm going to throw this out there, too. Yeah. You know, Wrestle Podcast will be a sponsor for Future Great Wrestling. We'll see the banner on the wall. We'll see you. I know we've already touched on the fact that uh, it'll be your birthday, but uh, I'm expecting to see you out here probably pretty regularly if you can fit, you know, fit it in. Oh, you're going to see me on Friday nights since I'm sponsoring. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah, trying to make it, you know. Okay. Unless there's something better. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hey, Cody Bryan, I'm just joking. I didn't mean to say it that way. (laughs) 
All right. Awesome, and everybody else, uh, thank you for listening to Wrestle Popcast. You can find me at Podcast City Network at podcastcity.net. You can listen to my live episodes at Wrestle Popcast on Spreaker.com, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and you can follow me at Twitter at WPopcast1 and Facebook at Wrestle Popcast. Everybody have a good evening. Salutations. This is Dalton Castle, and you're listening to Hitting the Marks. Oh, I get it. It's a pun. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Wrestle Podcast with your host, Robin Nelson. Thank you so much. And my special guest tonight is pro wrestling ring announcer and backstage interview, Nikki Campbell. How's it going, Nikki? Sure. How you doing? Pretty good. So what have you been up to lately? Well, I just clocked out of my shoot job and ran to my car. So between that and finals this week, I'm just kind of doing a bunch of nothing. <laughs> Not you. It seems like you're everywhere on social media. I mean, I kind of do have a Twitter addiction, I've been told. <laughs> I know. I follow you on Twitter. <laughs> like at least nine times a day i think it's bad hey that's hey that's all right everybody knows who you are though right i mean we're working on it that's right working on it for sure you worked for seven companies 25 shows and it took you eight months of serious pursuit to be where you're at can you tell us a little bit about that yeah so i got started well we're gonna go back a little further i hadn't been in independent wrestling at all didn't even know it existed and I had some friends I met through Ball State that were independent wrestlers so I got invited to Emerge Pro Wrestling in Columbus to watch one of my friends Cole Radrick wrestle so went there went to that show about three times and one of the shows I went to they the promoter messaged me was like hey our ring announcer isn't going to be there can you show up I was like, sure, why not? So I did that show with a guest ring announcer. First time ever, didn't know anything about it. And I got asked to be the full-time ring announcer after that. So I did solely emerge for about five months. And then in May of 2017, Paradigm Pro contacted me. And I started announcing for them. And after that, it became kind of a flurry of working for new companies. That's right. You also... uh worked with uh, Wrestling Theology as well, and then you just signed a contract with Jason Maples for Heroes and Legends Pro Wrestling as a backstage interviewer. How did that come to be, and how did Jason reach out to you? Well, Wrestling Theology, I actually got into Wrestling Theology through Jason Saint. Uh, we have this whole little coalition, you could call it, where I am his personal ring announcer for all of his wrestlers wrestling theology so in doing so um i kind of gathered some attention from other companies and um jason maples from uh heroes and legends contacted me and tried to get me on a show for this year and however that really wasn't able to work out but we definitely signed on for um i believe april 20th is our first show that i'll be working backstage um so yeah that's kind of 
it was a quick little deal. Um, I'm glad that it definitely worked out. I think it's an amazing opportunity. That pretty is, and I'm looking forward to meeting you the first time over at uh, Jason's show next year, so that'll be pretty fun. Yeah, definitely. Um, also, when you were growing up, were you a pro wrestling fan? Kind of. Um, my dad, when I was like, I think it was like six or seven, was huge into TNA because Sting wrestled in TNA. So I would watch every Thursday night, um, we would watch Impact together. And uh, I developed a huge crush on AJ Styles, not going to lie. And then once I hit like 12, I decided it wasn't cool for a girl to be into professional wrestling. So instead, I kicked watching wrestling to the curb and became a cheerleader. And then, yeah, I went through an eight-year spell before I came back. That's pretty wild as well. Um, When you first started ring announcing, when you did it for the very first time in front of a live audience... What were you thinking? What were you feeling at the time when you uh, had that mic for the very first time in the middle of the ring? I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I was terrified. But I always kind of had a little bit of a showman personality. And I don't know if you've been to Emerge, but Emerge has a pretty decent-sized crowd. Like, they routinely pull 300 to 400 people. So, I mean, it was a lot of people there. And I was like, well... Either I'm going to rock it or I'm going to fail it. Either way, I'm going to go all in no matter what. And, like, I see videos from that show, and I am shaking like a chihuahua the whole time. And it kind of makes me laugh to watch those now. Hey, at least you're more confident now than when you first started. Of all the matches you've announced, what was one of your, uh, what was some of your favorite matches you announced in pro wrestling? I think one of my favorites that I've done was a recent match in wrestling theology when the Iron Demon Shane Mercer took on the wrestling theology fellowship heavyweight champion Anthony Totelli. Um, the crowd was insane for that match. And for me, it's a lot more fun when the crowd is just raging for the match. Um, it's my job as an announcer to really put the crowd over and get them ready for it. But when I see them kind of take hold of the match, that's always insane. Yeah, that's pretty good, too. And you also have to make both wrestlers sound appealing to the audience as well to make it look good, to even make the show even better. Well, I mean, I have no favorite wrestlers. I mean, every guy is a superstar in my mind. Hey, the, hey, that's a good attitude to have, man. That's the best way to do it, to really uh, announce and all that. And I bet all these uh, wrestlers appreciate it for you. Um, I've had some wrestlers be not so appreciated. Um, I've had the mic stolen for me several times, and that's always an interesting experience. But you just go with it. And also when you're in a ring, um, you also rock it with some cool little outfits as well, man. Yeah, I tried to, uh, when I first started announcing, I was trying to look for announcers to get inspiration for what I was going to look like. And I kind of try and mix between JoJo and Christy Hemi. So anything that kind of falls in between that category is what I look for. And I'm a college kid. I don't have a lot of money. So I definitely frequent the sales rack. Hey, there's nothing wrong with this as well. I also like the one where you did the whole Sandy D look from Greece. Yeah, that was the last second thing. Um, I've had so many people be like, oh, you should be you should be Sandy. And I'm like, eh, all right, whatever. So. It was Halloween, and the typical tradition is you go to classes in a Halloween costume. 
And I was going to feel really lame if I didn't show up in a Halloween costume. So it's something I could throw together within five minutes. And the curly hair works. Yes, it does. And you look very good as well, especially that curly hair as well. And also, you got a lot of sass in that ring, too, um, announcing. Where'd you get all that sassiness from? I've always been a little bit of a spitfire. Um, I, my family tells me that there's no one who can argue like me. And I got a little bit of an edge, which is fine. I mean, I know how to hold my own. I think that really comes across um, when I announce, and especially when I am Jason's personal ring announcer. All right, let's talk about Jason Saint. I know him pretty well as well. So how did uh, Jason Saint approach you of being his personal announcer? And how did that uh, friendship and professionalmanship come together between you guys? Yeah, well, Jason and I worked our first show together May 25th at Paradigm Pro Wrestling. Um, never had met him. I'd seen him on Twitter. You know, everyone knows of Jason Saint. Um, but he came up to me at the show. He's like, hey, man, your Twitter popped me, which means that apparently he thought I was funny, which I was shocked completely. So we, he saw me announce um, against him that show. That's when he was managing Corey Storm. So a month goes by, and we're at another show in Connorsville, Indiana, together. And he publicly, in front of fans, adopted me. And that kind of started the whole, uh, we talked back and forth ideas of, hey, well, you should be a personal ring announcer. It would give you more experience and allow you to access this different side and maybe be a gateway into managing. So we started doing it at Wrestling Theology on my 20th birthday, nonetheless, and it went over huge. Um, I was probably one of the most hated women in the locker room, the most being Charlie Cruel at the moment. And then, so we did that for Wrestling Theology, and we've done it for Road Rubber Wrestling. I don't know, it's just, Jason's given me a lot of creative input, and to really try and put me out there and make me different as an announcer. And I think, because of him, my career as an announcer has just flourished. That's pretty good. Since you're working with Jason Saint, you um, also work around uh, Charlie Cruel, the Iron Demon, Shane Mercer. What's that like to work around those guys? Charlie and I actually worked together before I knew Jason. Uh, she had come around to emerge a couple times. We got out to see that. So I knew Charlie pretty well. Um, and then I had never met Shane Mercer up until Infinity. In Lafayette, Indiana, which Jason was managing him. And let me tell you, the Iron Demon is as scary as he looks. I was so terrified of him. It took me about two months to really like get comfortable and like not be afraid that he's going to randomly come about and like I don't know, crush my soul. You know, he's a demon. You never know what's going to happen. Um, but they're really cool people to work around. Um, they've given me a lot of advice and have really pushed me to be better. That's pretty good as well. And also tell us about your friendship with uh, Austin Tyler Morris. Oh, uh, yeah, that is that is something. He, uh, he's been one of my best friends throughout wrestling for about eight months now. Um, he's probably my go-to for any booking that I get or any, like, any opportunity I get. I always go to him first because he's been in the business for eight years. He's one of the most underrated talent in the Midwest, for sure. And uh, so he has definitely impacted me. And we watched wrestling 
about every night together, and he'll, like, point out certain things in the matches, like, hey, if you manage, you should do this, or if you happen to get asked this question, this is what this move is. So he's been kind of my mentor, and I don't know, he's kind of cute, too. Oh, look at you. I see pictures with you guys together. You guys look so cute together. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, also, since you're um, learning a lot about ring announcing, um, have you also thought maybe in the future to be a commentator or a, col- a color commentator? I would have to learn a whole lot more before I step into the commentary ring. Um, I will say at Emerge Wrestling, I get to sit at the commentary table and listen to everything that is being said. And some promotions don't have it that way, but through that, I've learned, uh, like, Casey Johnson's one of the best commentators you can find, as well as A.W. Lurch and John Gates. That's the whole commentary team at Emerge. And just listening to them, I've gotten so much more knowledge of how ring psychology is, um, just how the crowd is reacting. It's been a very good experience. That's pretty good as well. And um, you also thought about maybe being a, a pro wrestling manager as well. If you decide to do that, do you think you uh, will take a, um, some uh, pro wrestling training as well? Did you ever think about doing that? I've thought about doing it. And if I want to be a manager, which, I mean, that might be in the works. That might happen in 2019. But um, I definitely would want to do that. But if I was a manager, I wouldn't be more of a psychological manager. You know, play the mind games, all that. So would you be a little bit better than Jason Saint at it? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean, sometimes the protege outdoes his master, so you never know. I I'll... think Jason and I, if I begin managing, we could be a pretty dominant team together. So we'll see how that pans out. Hey, I'll be, I'll be looking forward to that as well. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens for you as well in 2019. Um, also... When you're not in the uh, wrestling ring uh, announcing, you're also on a uh, equestrian team as well. You do a lot of competition. So how did you fall into that, and how did you fall in uh, love with horses? Well, you can kind of say it's in my blood. Um, My mom's family has had harness racing horses for years. And so I think there's actually a picture of me at six weeks old in the winter circle with a harness racer, which is the horses at pole carts. But um, my dad and I had been fans of horse racing, like the Kentucky Derby, the Breeders' Cup, stuff like that, for years. Um, And then when I turned eight, I really kind of got the bug of horses, is what we call it, when you um, really have a love for it. So when I was eight years old, my dad bought me my first horse, and you can say it was history after that. He was a retired racehorse. So a lot of the horses that I work with now are retired racehorses. I try and give them a chance uh, gaining a second career because like the racing only lasts about two years and then what are, what do you do with them after two years so I teach them how to jump how to do barrels or barrel race do rodeo events you know just kind of have fun with it I wanted to go pro with it for a while but I can't really do that my body's too messed up so when you got into you know uh, an equestrian part of it as well um, did you ever do any dressage um, I've done a little dressage. Um, in fact, the horse I have currently, I'm actually retraining her to do dressage. Um, I do like show jumping, which is a timed event. Um, they actually have it in the Olympics. Uh, so I do that. 
And we've actually won a couple of national competitions as a show jumper and hunter jumper. Um, my current horse that I have right now, she is a, uh, she did jumping for a while and she's kind of decided it's not for her. So I'm trying to rework her brain to do dressage. She's pretty fancy. That's pretty good as well. And you also have an artistic side about you, too. You are into uh, poetry. So what got you into uh, poetry and what inspired you to get into poetry? Who's your favorite poet? And do you have like a favorite poem you like? Um, so I've always been a writer. Throughout high school, I would get in trouble because I would write stories in the middle class instead of paying attention. And, uh, so when I went to college, I decided I wanted to pursue creative writing, and I was terrified of poetry up until I took this one class where the teacher was like, all right, you're going to learn how to do this, and we're going to break every convention you know about poetry. You don't have to rhyme. You don't have to do all these other formal things that high school teaches you. And after that class, I kind of found it was a good way to express any emotion I was going through. I went through some pretty traumatic life events, and that was how I put up with it, is I would just go to poetry for it. Um, favorite poet? A pretty basic answer is Sylvia Plath. Um, she's a poet. She lived in the 1960s. She ended up dying when she was in her 20s um, due to depression, but she has one of the best poems. It's called Daddy, and it's probably my favorite poem. That's pretty good as well. Since you've done a lot of uh, creative writing, writing and poetry, does that poetry and everything, what you've learned, help you um, ring announcing in the ring? It does, actually. Some people wouldn't believe that. But poetry, much like ring announcing, is all about the presentation. And so you have to get creative in how you announce things. So what I like to do is when I make my note cards, I make little dashes on where my voice can do a little bit of an inflection. It's kind of like there's a thing called slam poetry, which is a poem that's actually performed. And so I kind of view ring announcing as that. And it's pretty good as well. Um, also, since you, um, you've been doing a lot of ring announcing for uh, pro wrestling, have you ever thought about also uh, maybe someday in the future, as well as pro wrestling, like ring announcing for maybe like MMA or boxing? I've gotten asked about that a lot. I haven't really considered it, but I guess if the right opportunity arose, I would. Hey, that'd be pretty. I can dictate what I wear. Hey, that'd be pretty good. I can picture uh, you announcing for some MMA fights. You'd be a hit. Um, that'd be pretty cool. And also, you're a, a backstage interviewer as well. So, what were some of your favorite uh, interviews you got to do with some uh, pro wrestling in the indies? My favorite has to be an interview I did at Wrestling Theology with Jock Sampson. Oh, I love that guy. So, oh, he's so, he's so mean, but so funny. Um, I went to go do the interview with him, was super prepared, was excited to get to ask him all these questions about the upcoming tag team tournament. And uh, he completely shut me down. And one thing, if you get to know me, I'm like, I'm pretty much a feminist. And Jock just pulled out every little thing in the book of, oh, you're a blonde, you can't use big words, blah, 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 blah. And it was just funny, because I got to walk away, and it's like, yep, all right, cool, Jock, that's, that's fine. You think what you want, but you can hijack the interview. I'm sure they all enjoyed seeing me in the image. <laughs> yeah, he's a trip. Um, I also seen you uh, pictures of you. You were in the ring with uh, Shotzi Blackheart. What was that like? 
Shafi was on my list of uh, wrestlers I wanted to work with. And it wasn't one of those that, like, oh, by 2018, I'm going to work with her. Because I, I didn't think that at all. Um, but Jason contacted me, and he's like, hey, we've got Charlie Cool going against Shafi Blackheart. You know, are you going to be available? So not telling Jason of, like, how much I idolized her. I was like, yeah, cool, we'll be fine. So we're standing in the ring for Road Double Wrestling, and the surreal moment happens when he announces her, and I see Shotzi Blackheart coming down the ramp. I'm like, oh, my God, this is actually happening. Um, but I got to talk to her backstage, and she's super, super cool. Um, I got to work Bizarro Lucha with her as well. So she's one of my favorites, and she's kind of one of those that I look up to because she's so kind to everyone. Yes, she is, and she's also a great performer in a ring. She always has those um, crisp, solid matches as well. I mean, she's ballsy, don't you know? <laughs> yes, she is, and she loves her horror, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. Exactly. Um, speaking of 2019, what are you looking for in 2019 for Nikki Campbell? The biggest thing for 2019 is I just really want to grow. Um, in any way possible if it's you know just hopping in the car and going to shows with people I'd love to do that Um, but I do have I can't really announce them yet but I do have some big opportunities coming down my way in 2019 and you're going to be able to see certain sides of me that no one has seen yet and I'm very excited to explore those different paths for myself that's pretty good as well and another question I'm going to ask you too um, for since you've been in an, over a year of ring announcing and interviewing wrestlers, what's your most memorable moment so far in uh, indie wrestling? Um, the moment of Shotzi Blackheart was super cool. Um, but I think oh, I actually have to really think about this. <laughs> I think every moment that I've had being able to work with Jason Saint was one of my top moments because I've been able to having the crowd's reaction to me has been super cool because usually when you're just a normal ring announcer you get the positive reaction you get like some emotion from the fans but they're really hyped for the match and so when you're part of the match it's a little bit different of a reaction um so I think probably my first my bad, second match where it was Gil Patrick versus Jeremy Hadley at Wrestling Theology Fellowship in the steel cage nonetheless. was probably my favorite. Really? What was it like to get in that steel cage? Well, I hit my head on it coming in. It was really short. And I'm a short person by what I'm not that short. So um, that was really fun. There's some really cool pictures where you got me actually in the steel cage. And when people ask me, you know, what do you do? And I say, professional wrestling, ring announcing. I show them that picture. Because I think, like, that's, I don't know, I hate to use the word edgy. I know someone's going to hear this and laugh at me. But, I don't know, that's kind of an edgy thing. And I really, it's a unique experience that when I'm, like, 35 and have kids, they're going to be like, I'll be able to tell my kids that, yo, your mom's cool. She stepped into a steel cage. Uh, that's right. And who knows? And, and be like, yeah, she's cool, too. She took a bump, too. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I have been used before in a match um, at Paradigm Pro. I was in a, uh, I was ring announcing a tag team match between, I think it was the Rejects and the Top Guys. And the Top Guys ended up using me as a human battering ram against the Rejects. So, 
which is funny. Adam Slay gives me um, crap about that all the time now. So when they used you as a, uh, as a human shield or an object, what were you thinking at that time, and then what happened afterwards? That was my first show working for them. And Emerge has a policy where I don't get touched. You know, that was just kind of to protect me as I was, like, starting out and not to freak me out too much. My first show with Paradigm, they're like, yeah, you're going to get used. And I'm like, well, I mean, if it doesn't scare you, then maybe it's not, maybe you're not doing it right. So I was like, well, maybe I can use this in some way and grow from it. And I have the pictures from it, and it's so funny. Um, it's one of my favorite moments. I'm definitely have to check those pictures out. <laughs> I think they're on. I think they're on my Facebook. Hey, that's pretty good as well. So, where can everybody find you on social media of your adventures and what you're going to be doing next? Well, on Facebook, I've got a professional page. You just search Nikki Campbell, and it's a picture of a curly-headed girl in a red dress. I don't really think there's that many other Nikki Campbells. And then on Instagram, uh, my handle is Nikki, C-M-P-B-L-L, and then I think there's an underscore after that, and it's the same thing for my Twitter. Uh, I would say if you don't want annoying tweets all the time, or like completely random, like why in the world did you even think to put that, don't follow my Twitter, but definitely follow my Instagram and my Facebook. Hey, that's pretty awesome as well. Um, also, um, I see Jason Saint and Charlie Crew a lot. Um, they also wrestle over at Battle on the Border as well. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever see yourself being at Battle on the Border in the near future? Perhaps in 2019. we got to work out some things. Because, um, like, on top of the ring announcing, I'm a full-time student. So sometimes scheduling is a little tough to do. But if it ever opens up and I have the opportunity to go, I'd love to. Hey, oh, that'd be pretty awesome, too. And um, I'm also looking forward to seeing where you go in 2019 and see where it goes from ring announcing. Maybe you'll be a, a badass hill manager. Who knows? I'm looking Maybe. forward. Hey. I would, I would love, the one thing that I would love to happen in 2019 is to kind of, with Jason St. Saints Row, I would kind of like to do my own little spin on it and maybe call it Stirring the Soup with Nikki Campbell. You know, maybe do something similar to that and have actual in-ring interviews. That would be pretty awesome. I can see you doing that, too. And I can also see you uh, doing a a YouTube channel as well when you have your, you know, show like Saints Show where you're interviewing, you know, different wrestlers and all that. And you can bust it on YouTube and get a following. And who knows, maybe we can do a crossover episode between me and Jason. You never know. You know something? That would be priceless. I would love to see that between you and Jason Saint. That would be crazy. I mean, Jason, if you're listening to this, book it, man. Exactly. Yeah, Charlie, talk to Jason. Uh, Tell him, let's do this for Nikki. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, thank you so much for taking your time coming on to my show tonight. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, anytime. And um, everybody else, uh, thank you for listening to Wrestle Podcast. And you can follow Wrestle Podcast at Podcast City Network at podcastcity.net. You can follow my episodes at Wrestle Podcast on Spreaker.com, Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes. And you can follow me at Twitter at WPopcast1. And also on Facebook at Wrestle Podcast. Everybody have a great night. Good night. Good night.